Right, that's right. Amen. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, huh? I love that song. I love that one. We need more songs about the blood. Amen. Cleanses us, makes us worthy. That's what I love about it. How you guys doing tonight? Good? All right, good. Been a while since I've been here. It seems like I was getting cobwebs on my eyebrows or something like that, you know. I'm just I'm just happy they let me talk. I really am. I really am. Well, we started the book of Corinthians. You guys enjoying it so far? Probably got a long ways to go. If Donald Trump was here, he'd call it one Corinthians. But we're in First Corinthians, and I love this book. I really do. I think we're going to get a lot of really good stuff through it. It was a church that had a lot of problems. Thank God I don't think we can identify with that very much, being journey of the church. We don't have a lot of problems. But we do come under the pressure of the worldliness that they faced in their life. I mean, it's more intense now than it was, it seems like, when I first got saved decades and decades ago. But, you know, looking back kind of the first chapter there, you know, Paul got wind of things that went on. It's funny. This is the church that he started. He was there for quite a while. It was his baby. And I think he had spies. And they kind of told him what was going on in that church. And Paul, being the apostle, found out about it. And he found out there was divisions within the church. Terrible. Divisions are one of the strategies that the enemy uses to conquer and divide the church. Doesn't he do that? I'm going to tell you guys something. Don't ever let that happen. Don't ever let there be cliques and those kind of things going on. This isn't high school. You know, some of you were in those kind of cliques, you know, and the jocks, you know, or the cheerleaders or whatever it was. I was with the surfers. So we were, you know, we were cool. If you surfed, we'd let you in. But we can't let the devil do those kind of things. We have different personalities. That's what I love about the church here. We have different personalities, different guys teaching and the younger guys coming up, Dustin Sharon from his heart tonight. You know, John when he speaks. We're all different. You notice that? We all have different personalities. We teach differently. And isn't it great? I'm glad we're not all the same. You know, right? I love it. The pastor, man, he gets us fired up. You know, I'm ready to come down and fall on my knees every week almost. But I love those things. Dustin last week, where's Dustin at? I don't know where he is. He's hiding right now, he's high school. He taught last week about the cross, didn't he? We're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. And we saw last week, probably as he taught, that the cross is, is foolishness. It's foolishness to those that are headed to destruction. They don't understand it, guys. They never will understand it unless God really grabs a hold of their heart. Tonight I have a great section. I have a section where... I'm going to look at Paul's preaching style, kind of how he taught. And, and I'm going to see, as we get into the scriptures tonight, we're going to look a little bit at mature believers and immature believers, seeing the difference between the two of them. And we're going to see that, that Paul didn't rely upon words, but he relied upon the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, the kind of stuff that we talked about when we went through the book of Acts. And then we're going to see finally that, you know, God doesn't want to hide things from you and I. He doesn't do that. It's not an Easter egg hunt where you've got to go running around trying to find everything. 
My little grandkid, he's so blind when we did that this year, where it's just like right in front of him, and he's three years old, and he couldn't even see them. I'm like yelling at him, it's right there, right there. <laughs> but God doesn't want to hide things from us. And we're going to see that tonight, that, that God wants to reveal things to us tonight. You guys believe that? Yeah. I think you do. Let's all stand as we honor God's word. I'm going to read a few verses here, and then we're going to get right on into it. Chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Let's pray. Father, again, we come to you and we come to the bread of life. And I pray that you would feed your church tonight, Lord. Let their hearts be open as I get a picture of just just baby birds in a, in a nest just wanting to be fed. That my brothers and sisters' hearts would be like that tonight. Holy Spirit, you take what is said here tonight and you implant life, real life, Lord. Plant seeds of life. Let it cause us to grow and to be the people of God and the church of God that you called us to be. Thank you so much for your word. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Why don't you all sit down? The way Paul preached... Not, as I said before, not everybody preaches or teaches the same, and I love that. Jesus Christ was his main subject when he came to the Corinthian church. It, it was his focus when he came to that church. Why was that? Well, I believe probably that the Holy Spirit spoke to his heart and said, that's what you really need to hit on. The cross sets the captives free, which you and I were if we, before we came to know Christ. It brought wholeness and still bringing wholeness into our life. It redeems the lost. It's the only thing that can redeem the lost of this world. It's the cross. It's the blood of Jesus. Paul knew Jesus and he knew him well. He knew Emmanuel, God with us. When you know somebody... You can describe that person to another individual and they can kind of know them a little bit, can't they? They truly can. And the more you know that person, the more time you spend with that person, the more you can paint a good picture of them, can't you? You truly can. Let me ask you guys something. Here's your first question tonight. How well do you know Jesus? How well do you know him? You need to know him well. We're going to spend eternity with them. Paul knew him. That's why he could speak and people could grab a hold of what he was saying. See, Emmanuel came, Jesus, God with us, to show what God, the Heavenly Father, was all about. Paul said he didn't come with lofty words, impressive wisdom. I like that. I like that he didn't come with all of these lofty things that people can say. He didn't come with this self-righteousness that so many Christians have nowadays. That's why the world doesn't like us. I hope you guys understand that. 
They don't like us because we look down on them. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And you're a sinner saved by grace. And I'm going to tell you what, we're no better than they are. No better. We're, we're not better. God's made me better, but I'm not better than them. They're God's creation, just like you and I. They truly are. But he just spoke it to them, just like eyeball to eyeball. Made it very, very clear to them. He didn't promise them the moon. That's what he didn't do. And I got to confess, when I was going through this, I, I thought about that. You know, he, he, he didn't promise them stuff that, that Jesus wasn't going to do. I got to confess, when I first got saved, a long time ago, that I promised people the moon. I really did. I mean, I'd tell them, I said, Jesus will fix every problem you got. Whatever you got, he'll take care of it. And, and so, and, you know, and I wasn't lying to them. He fixed me. He really did. He took care of the problems that I had in my life. But he didn't take care of all of them. And don't you dare promise somebody that you come to Jesus and that he's going to fix all of your problems. It's not going to happen. You're going to have Jesus with you. You know, as you walk through the valley in the shadow of death, he'll be there with you. But he won't fix them all. I wish he would, though. Especially my neighbor. (laughs) I was seeing if you guys remember that guy. He's still there, I'll tell you. He's still there. And Paul said in verse 3 that that he came in weakness and fear and in trembling. That's the superhero. That's Paul the apostle. I mean, you've got to be kidding me. He, He came to them in weakness and fear and in trembling. That weakness there could even imply maybe that, that some kind of a sickness that he had. And you, you can find places in the scripture where it, it definitely talks about that. And there were other apostles and other disciples and believers that experienced, you know, sickness. But he came to them that way. That was very interesting. And we're going to talk about that in just a second here. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians twelve seven through 10. He says, even though I have received such wonderful revelations, and he got a bunch of revelation. He was just previously talking about how I could boast. I, I've got revelations that none of you have had, basically, is what he's saying. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and to keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure, pleasure, he takes pleasure in this, pleasure in my weakness and in the insults, the hardships, the persecutions, the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Wow. He takes pleasures in those things. That's a hard one for me. How about you guys? That's hard, isn't it? That's a tough one. I tell you what, we're going through the book of Acts, and I look back and I taught kind of through this section. Before he came to Corinth, he went to Athens. You know, that's the place where all those beautiful buildings that are falling apart are now. Where all of these wise philosophers and all those things. And in that, that chapter, chapter 17, boy, he preached his heart out. He gave it to them. And you know what it says? It said, few believed. That's a tough thing for a preacher. To bring a powerful message that you think that's anointed of God, that's just full of the Spirit of God, and nothing happens almost. I was going, boy, 
He had some expectations of what was going to happen. He, he probably thought they were all going to fall on their face and all these philosophers were going to get saved. They didn't. They didn't. It was probably pretty emotional and pretty humbling for him. That's why I think maybe he came to the church at Corinth with that weakness and that fear and trembling. I think God kind of gave him a, I don't know, a reality check maybe. I don't know. But it was tough. Paul said that his message was plain and it was simple. Don't complicate the message, guys, when you share with your friends. Make it as simple as you possibly can. His message was cut and dry. It was to the point. How many of you guys heard of J. Vernon McGee? All right. Yeah. He's like, he's just cut and dry. You know what I'm saying? He's not the most eloquent guy in the world. He's far from it. But he's one of my favorite teachers. He just gets right to the point. And he gives it to you. You know, as the pastor would say, he kicks you in the butt. I wanted to say butt. Is that okay? He says we can say it in church. But his message was simple and clear. It really was. This guy, Paul, was highly educated. He, he was a guy that had a whole bunch of letters after his name. You know what I'm saying? I, I, those kind of people don't really impress me too much. They really don't. Jesus impresses me. That's what impresses me. He didn't try and come to them with persuasive or clever words. He wasn't trying to entice them to come to the gospel, to give their life to Christ. And we are never to entice people to come to Christ. Never. That's not what we're supposed to do. There's people that do that today. There's churches that kind of do that. What did he do? What was his secret? He lied on the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. That's what he relied on. That was his secret. Paul was totally dependent on the power of God. Why? Why was he so dependent on that? Well, you think that he'd get down and he would have had the greatest message going and everything. But he said, no, I'm just going to give it to you plain and simple and right to the point. I'm just going to let the power of the Holy Spirit do what it's supposed to do. People who come to Jesus with the power of God those kind of people want to be led by the power of God and by the Spirit of God. Not by what man says, but by what the Spirit's doing. They want to hear what the Word of God has to say. You see, because the Word says this, Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is alive, it is powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and the spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. He used the word of God. I know he did. He went back into the Old Testament and was probably speaking to them about the things in the Old Testament that talked about the cross. Isaiah chapter 53. You can go on and on and on. He knew that that was going to do something. I know when I speak, and I've taught long enough to know this, that it's not my words that do anything. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's that anointing that is, that, that is there when someone speaks. And for our young guys that are teaching, learn that. That's where the power is. It's in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. My words are meaningless. 
But boy, you get the Holy Spirit and you mix that word with it and the word of God, it's powerful. You know that there's millions, if not thousands of verses that go out through uh, the internet every day? The word of God is out there constantly. The message of the cross is constantly being bombarded in this world. And that's a good thing. You know why? Because the Father draws people to Jesus. It's not beautiful sermons. It, it is the Father drawing people to Jesus. Let's go on, verse 6 and 8. Yet when I am among the mature believers, I do speak with words of wisdom. But not the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world or to the rulers of this world who are soon forgotten. No, the wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God. His plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. But the rulers of this world have not understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. Paul wanted to teach him deeper things. He really did. I remember a guy when I was pastoring, he came up to me. And I just thought of this right now. And he came up to me and he says, why don't you teach these people some deeper things? It made me think. And when I thought back on it a while and prayed about it, I felt like God was directing me exactly as I was supposed to do. We had a young church and I needed to teach, you know, where they were at. And I think that's a very, very important thing. The mystery that he's talking about here is salvation. It's the cross. That's what it is. And that that mystery wasn't just for the Jews, for his people, but it was for all of mankind. All of mankind. That was the mystery he was talking about here. It's still hidden to the unbelievers. Your friends, your relatives, the people that you know that don't know Jesus, it's hidden to them. It's hidden. They can't even see it if you, if you, if you put it right in front of their faces. Just like my little grandkid, three-year-old, running around. The egg is about four feet from his face. He can't even see it. Until we start kind of pointing it out to him. Blinded to it. Why? Because they ignore it. They reject the truth. There's a bunch of other mysteries in the scripture. There's the mystery of the Jew and the Gentile being equal in Ephesians. There's uh, that Christians will be changed in the resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's awesome. You want to read a good We're going to get there pretty soon. The fullness of the Gentiles in Romans chapter 1. That's uh, Romans chapter 11. That's a great section in scripture because what it talks about is that when the fullness of the Gentiles, when the final Gentile gets saved, then God starts working on his people again. He's working on them, but he's going to work on them in a mighty way when that happens. And then Christ and his church in Ephesians chapter 5. These wise rulers he's talking about were the priests, the Pharisees, King Herod. All of those guys, they didn't get it. They didn't see the Easter egg. It was right there in front of them. And they just rejected it. If they understood it, what Paul said, he says, they wouldn't have crucified them. Sometimes people think maybe that is talking about uh, those spiritual rulers that are out there. I don't know. I mean, if they would have known if he went to the cross and he was raised from the dead, I don't think they would have crucified him, would they? Because they knew the result of that is you and I being saved, redeeming mankind. Mature believers understand God's wisdom. His word, his insight, his revelations. As pastor said Sunday, parables. Start speaking to those 
those disciples. You know why he did those things? To, because he wanted them to be hungry for the truth. Hungry for the insights of God. So if you don't give it to them very clearly, and you give it to them in kind of a picture like a parable, just like his disciples says, Lord, we don't know what that means. Tell us. You see what I'm saying? They were hungry for it. They need to be hungry for the things of God. Worldly wisdom is not the same as godly wisdom. Godly wisdom is centered in God. Worldly wisdom is centered on man. My grandfather was a wise man, but he never, you know, I never had the opportunity to lead him to Christ. I hope that before he died, he did, because I sure shared, you know, what he needed to do. But if I wanted worldly wisdom, boy, he was the guy to go to, and I went to him. But if I wanted godly wisdom, that wasn't the man I was to go to. There's drastic differences between mature people and immature people. Mature Christians and immature Christians. I was thinking about that. And again, you know, I get to live this all over again being a grandparent. You know, I got a little kid running around all the time now. He was at my house when I left tonight. But mature and immature, they have different diets. My little grandkid used to drink milk all the time. That's all he could do. They, they don't let grandpa feed him real milk. They got goat's milk they used to give to him. How many of you guys ever tasted that stuff? It's disgusting. <laughs> don't let my daughter-in-law hear this. No, I'm just kidding. Paul even says in chapter 3, when you get there next week, he said, I had to give you guys milk. You weren't mature. The communication skill of a mature believer, an immature believer, uh, just a human being, it's so different. They talk differently. They, they lack the vocabulary. I was thinking, mature believers, you guys who are mature in this place and known Jesus for quite a while, you need to know the word. Mature believers know the word or they should know the word, shouldn't they? Yeah, of course they should. I can't expect an immature believer to know what I know. It's not going to happen. Their social skills, they act differently. Immature kids are immature kids. I mean, they, you know, they get impatient, they get frustrated, they get angry. I watch my little grandkid do those kind of things. I can't expect any different from me. He doesn't know any different. And reasoning. My grandkid can't reason for anything. You know, teenagers. How many of you got teenagers? They don't reason too good, do they? Look at it, you're shaking. Yeah, they don't. I was one a long time ago. I know what it's like. Pastor, you're in trouble. <laughs> it's tough. Listen to what Paul said about immature believers. And we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 14. And the previous verses before that, it's talking about apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, that God gave these people gifts to the church to build the church up, to mature the church, okay? And then he picks up on verse 14 and he says this. So if we mature, then we will no longer be immature like children. Children are immature. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. Remember what we talk about? Mature people, mature Christians know the word. If you know the word, you're not going to get tossed around like that from every new teaching or running to every new teaching out there. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with their lies. 
so clever, they sound like the truth. Internet is not the truth a lot, guys. Okay? I say that over and over again. Please hear that. Especially young people, hear that. Just because it's on there doesn't mean it's real. And immature Christians, I'll tell you what, they get into trouble and they cause trouble. I can say that as an old pastor. I'm going to tell you, they, they do. They cause trouble sometimes. Immature people cause problems, don't they? They really do. Well, how do kids mature? I, you know, I'm thinking about that again. They exercise, you know. Some of your kids, boy, they run around like crazy. My, my grandkid gets wired up at 8 o'clock at night. And it's like he's bouncing off the walls until he's ready to go to sleep. It's insane. But they exercise. And I was thinking exercising is, is like us as, as believers of Christ. You know what we do? We serve. When you're serving, when you're serving the king, when you're serving one another as Christians, you're exercising. That's what you're doing. You're exercising. They interact. They fellowship just like this. Come together as believers in Christ. We fellowship. Ah, We're growing. Iron sharpens iron, doesn't it? I tell you. You get trouble sometimes, it it helps you to mature in Christ. That's what it does. Spending time with Jesus. They eat good food. Want good food, Christian? Here it is. This is it. It's the word of God. As pure as it can possibly be. You reading it is the purest, healthiest, good food you'll ever get in your life. Even better, some, some messages that are out there done by some great, great people. Now, I'm telling you, this is it. This is the most solid food that you could possibly have. And Paul tells his Corinthian church in chapter 3, he says, I couldn't give it to you the way I wanted to give it to you. And then just experience in life. Growing, growing through trials and going through tribulations. Here's your action point for tonight, and I'm not breaking you up because you guys never listen to what I say anyway. <laughs> I tell you, just share it with one person, you share it with the whole table anyway. I was talking to Dustin, I go, Dustin, what do they do when you do this? He goes, I give them two minutes. That's all. I give them two minutes. I'm not even giving you two minutes. <laughs> but what I want you to do, and this is serious, rate yourself. Rate your maturity level right now in Christ. One being here and ten being here. You just rate yourself. I'm not going to ask you to share that with somebody else. If you want to, you can. If that makes you feel good. But you just rate yourself. Are you a one? Are you a five? Are you a seven? Are you a ten? Where are you at? Just think about where you are for a moment in Christ Jesus. And where, you know, where that far off spot is. Okay, you just you just think about that one. Okay, because I tell you what, maturing and growing up—it's your choice. I can't make McKinsey grow in Christ. I can't do it. Right, Tucker? You can't do it. No, can't do it. I can't make any of you grow up. I can't. It's your choice. You make the choice to grow up or not to grow up. I have met Christians who have been Christians for thirty years, and they were so immature. So immature. They don't have the word. They don't know the word. They're not really fellowshipping. You know what I'm saying? They're just all that. They're just, they're, they're, just, they're just immature. That's a shame. It's a real shame. We better get going here. Verse 9. 
That is what the scripture means when they say, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, and the mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And verse 10. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit, for the spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thought except the person's own spirit, and no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. Except God's own spirit. God reveals things to us by his spirit. You might be reading the word sometime and his Holy Spirit just quickens that verse to your heart. He says here that the spirit searches and shows us the deep secrets of God. And I want to know the deep secrets of God. God's spirit knows God's heart. Jesus isn't hiding things from us, guys. Just go back to the Easter egg again. All right? We made it. We, we made it. I'm telling you, my three-year-old grandkid, we made it so easy for him to find these things. It still blew my mind that he couldn't find these things. And I'm going to tell you something. Jesus isn't hiding these things, so, you know, you've got to search and search and search and search and search. I'm not saying that he doesn't want you to push in at times into the things of Christ. He does. But I'm telling you what, he'll reveal those things to you if you want to know them. If you want to know more about his love, ask him, show him. Show me, Lord, your love. Mercy, Lord. I need to know what your mercy's like. My son asked me one time, he goes, Dad, I want to know what heaven's like. What is, or he came up to me and goes, what is heaven like? And I kind of de- described it to him. And I said, look, ask Jesus to reveal that to you. And he started asking the Lord. And, you know, it might, this might sound weird to you guys a little bit, but he went to a YouTube concert. And he was there with a bunch of people, and Bono gets up there, and he starts singing the song that comes out of the psalm. I can't remember what that, that song is that he does. And he said, Dad, I, I just feel the Spirit of God. It just dropped on that place. Now, it gives me the goosebumps thinking about it. He goes, Dad, I knew what heaven was going to be like. He could only see it a little bit, you know what I mean? But he, but he sensed what it was like. I experienced that when I went to Promise Keepers, when we had like 50, 60, 70,000 guys worshiping God. It was the closest I have ever been to heaven in my entire life. And it's going to it's, it's be a whole lot better than that. It truly is. God's already revealed things to mankind. Romans 1, 19, 20 says this. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they have, can clearly see his invisible attributes. You want to know God? Just look at his creation, his eternal power, his divine nature. So they are without excuse for knowing God. Don't let anybody ever tell you, I've never seen God. You look at what he's created. You look up there at Topa Topa in the mountains and a beautiful sunrise or a beautiful sunrise, you know, sunset sunrise. There, there you see God. You see the painter of the sky painting those things. God wants to reveal those things to us. He truly does. You know, he's given us eyes to see the things. He's given us ears to hear the heart of God. And he's given us the mind to understand and to experience or the heart to, to experience the things of God. You know, times we get together and we're at worship. Man, you know, you feel God. 
And when we worship, guys, I hope you know this, that when we worship God, he gives us his character. He, he, he inhabits the praise of his people, and he imparts his character into us when we worship him. That's what he does. That's why worship is so important to his heart. That's why he wants us entering into his presence. Understanding Jesus is what we need. We don't just need knowledge. You want knowledge, go to seminary. You know, and this is kind of a knock on seminary a little bit, but I tell you what, a lot of times they learn a lot of knowledge, but they don't learn a whole lot about Jesus and that deep relationship with him. I had, I had some great professors when I went to Bible college where they wanted us knowing about the Lord more than anything else. They'd have us on our knees repenting and crying out before God. Verse 12. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. Did you hear that? When we tell you these things... We do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain the spiritual truths. God reveals, as I said, by His Spirit. But we're taught by the Spirit, too. The world spirit, that world mindset that we fight against constantly, it doesn't teach the same things that our Lord teaches. You're not going to learn about Jesus from the world. They have a different picture of of who he is and what he's like. And the world spirit usually is in complete opposition and disagreement with what the scriptures teach. Okay? Parents, teach them the scriptures. Don't teach them what the world tells you. Teach them the scriptures. That's God's wisdom. And Satan's influence is on everything that we've got out there. Media, music. I mean, you name it, education, it's all being influenced by him. But you and I have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. That's what Paul's trying to say here. You've got the Spirit. And it is that Holy Spirit that's talked about in John 14 that says this, He is the Holy Spirit who leads us into truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him. They don't see the Easter egg. And doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. The Spirit, that's who instructs us. That's who teaches us the spiritual things of God. You're not going to get that by watching TV. You know, unless it's one of these Christian channels that are out there. You know what I'm saying? I don't get close to Jesus watching the 6 o'clock news. Right? You don't. It just drives you further away almost. I'm getting to the point now, I'm going, gosh, I'm getting sick of all this stuff, you know. It's just so depressing of what's going on. But, <laughs> because it is so bad, we know that he's coming soon. Amen. Amen? And I hope you guys know this, man. The rapture of the church. I'm putting in the second coming here, guys. The rapture of the church, the gathering up of God's people, it could happen any minute. It really could. We could be gone tomorrow. We could be gone tonight. And then we see, really, all hell break loose. We really do. But that spirit of truth comes and guides us into all truth, it says in John chapter 16, verse 13. 
guides us into all truth. Taught by the Spirit so we can walk in Christ and walk in the Spirit. How does that happen? We listen to the Word of God. That's what we do. We make an effort to hear. You come here on Wednesday because you want to hear the Word. You want to worship. You want to fellowship. You've got to hear. You've got to want to hear. Then we observe. We put on our thinking caps and we start thinking and meditating on the scriptures that God gives to us or that we're reading. That's what we do. Meditate on it. Meditating is, is, is going over and over in your mind of what it means. How many have ever done that? Take one scripture and just think about it, maybe all during the whole week there. And then you interpret it. What does that mean? That's what I do. When anybody prepares a message, that's what they're doing. Well, what does that mean? And then the last thing that we do is we go, how do we apply it to our life? You know, how do I put this in the shoe leather as a Christian? What do I got to do to do that? I was thinking about it. The Bible says, don't steal. Okay. I, that's pretty clear, isn't it? You don't have to put your thinking cap too much on that. But all of a sudden, you get into a place where you could steal maybe, I don't know, a bunch of pencils at, at work or whatever it might be. All of a sudden, that scripture comes on. Are you going to apply it or not apply it? You see what I'm saying? I better not steal because the Bible says, okay, I'm going to put it into practice. That's living it out in our life. That's applying it to our life. Spirit of truth is going to lead us into all truth. And then 14 through 17, we'll wrap this up pretty quick. And listen to this. And you always got to look for the buts. That's a good but in the scriptures when you look at it. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it, for only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Those who are spiritual can't evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. For who can know the Lord's thought? And that's Yahweh there is what he's talking about. Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things. Why? Because we got the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ. I'm going to go through this real quick. What he's talking about here is Christian and non-Christian. Spiritual and non-spiritual man. The New American Standard Bible uses the natural man. There's a difference. There truly, truly is a difference. A Christian sees things differently than a non-Christian person. I'm a fly fisherman. You got any fly fishermen out there? Hey, all right. There you go. That's right. You took my class. When I look at a body of water, when I look at a lake and I look at a stream, I look at it completely different than a person that doesn't fish. I, I'm always thinking, there's fish in there. I know it. You who aren't fishermen, you could care less. I'm a surfer. When I look at the ocean, I look at the ocean a lot differently, too. A Christian does not see the way a non-Christian sees things. You know that. You look at things differently now that you're a Christian than before you were a Christian. That's just how it is. Well, let's compare these two real quickly. A natural person, an unsaved person, doesn't have the Spirit of God living inside them. They're dead spiritually. They can't be led by the Spirit of God. If we're saved, we have the Spirit and we can be led by the Spirit of God. They can't understand the things of God. We can. We can understand the, 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 the Scriptures. They can't accept and they don't even want the things of God. We can accept, and we want, or we should want the things of God, shouldn't we? And there's no spiritual discernment. They, 
they can't understand things spiritually. They just can't. You could try and explain it to them, and they just can't explain it. They, can't, they cannot understand it. We discern, and that's what we're talking about, between truth and a lie. That's what it said there back in Ephesians there, right? We can tell. We don't get tricked the way that we used to. And the good news looks foolish to them. It's not to us. It's the power of God unto salvation. That's what it is for you and I. Paul says this in James, or excuse me, not uh, Paul, but James says this. The Lord's brother says this. It describes kind of that worldly wisdom, that mindset that rules and controls unbelievers. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not part of God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of what? Every kind. And then he says this, 17. But the wisdom from above is first all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and good deeds. It shows no favoritism and always sincere. That's a believer and a non-believer. Very different. Very different. And to close with this, we, we have the mind of Christ. That's, that's what Paul wrapped up right here. As he's probably writing, writing it and thinking about these spiritual things, I, I could just you know, see him just going, and the Lord speaking to him saying, you, got the, you have my mind. Well, if we have Christ's mind, then we should use it, shouldn't we? You know, everybody used to wear those bracelets, do what Jesus said. Well, you got the mind of Christ. You can know what we're supposed to do, right? We truly can. Because we have the mind of Christ. If we have the mind of Christ, we need to make the right choices, not convenient choices, the right choices. We're to stay away from that worldly wisdom and that mindset that is out there. It's bombarding you guys constantly, and you've got to say, I'm not going to put it up with that. It produces every kind of evil is what it says. That's what it does. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We truly do. I asked my brothers and sisters earlier to just rate themselves where, where they are in their maturity level. They've got that number, Lord. You've got that number too, Lord. I don't know if our numbers are off or not. But God, I do know what you spoke to me is that you want your church to grow. You want your church here at Journey to mature, to be more like Christ. To use the mind of Christ in the decisions that they make. To make the right choices. To be good listeners. To be good seekers. To seek you first and your kingdom, Lord, and all these other things will be added to them. For some of them tonight, Lord, there's things that, that are pressing hard upon them. And the Lord wants to reveal some things to you about that. Keep seeking him. He'll give you some insight if you just keep pressing in. Help us to know your mind, Lord. 
Help us to read your word, to hide your word in our heart. Help us to know your word. Help us to hunger for your word, I pray, Lord. I truly, truly pray for that. Help us to act as spiritual people. I really pray for that. I pray your blessing be upon my brothers and sisters. I pray as they leave this place, Lord, that the lives that they live will impact the people around them. That their message would be simple and clear. They would stick to the facts. And that fact is that you, Jesus, came. You lived life. You spoke your word. You went to the cross. You died and you were raised from the grave, Lord. Help us to make sure that the cross is always central, Lord, to the message that we speak. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.